Hello and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Bant, and along with me on this journey is my co-host, Jason Massick. Hello, Jason. Hello, Bill. 2022 is done. Season 2 is done. Bill Bant, my great friend, it was... Full of some highs, some lows. Some of it I can remember. Some of it I can't. Maybe some of it I don't want to remember. But mostly, it was awesome. And it's something to celebrate. So let's recap it. What do you say? Yes. So this week's episode, we'll be looking back on Season 2. And we'll be giving you a little sneak peek into Season 3. Once again, Jason and I came up with a bunch of questions to ask one another as we reflect on our second season. So Jason, you want to start us off with our first question? Absolutely, Bill Bant. What was your favorite episode from season two? My favorite episode from season two, because I was just surprised we pulled this off, was our Ferris Bueller's Day Off episode. The guest pod we had with Ben Lawhorn from Three Films and a Podcast. Our first season, we had talked about doing guests on our show. But as you know, our show's kind of run a little long. So I was super afraid if we brought someone else on the show, it'd be a three-hour show and no one would listen to it. So it literally took a year and a half to figure out a script that we could do to bring someone on and still try to keep the episode under two hours. And I thought we really pulled it off. It was so much fun to have been on. Even our other episode with Patrick Duty, the exec producer of Nailed It, that was just a great one, too. I really like doing the guests. I'm really looking forward to doing guests again next year. You know, our guests get to pick the movie that they're going to promote. So it's great to hear they're so enthused about it. They're so pumped to talk about it. And I think it just gets infectious. And that's what I just love about doing it. One hundred million thousand percent. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, man. Ben Lawhorn. Just love saying that name, and he brought it, man. He brought his A-game from three films and a podcast, our very first guest host. Couldn't agree with you more. For me, Bill Bant, it was a toss-up between Ferris Bueller's Day Off and, you've already mentioned it, Silent Night, Deadly Night with our other guest host, Patrick J. Duty. So I'll get into Silent Night, Deadly Night briefly in just a moment, but to just add on a little bit, man, I mean, you basically said it. First of all, just revisiting Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I was actually a little surprised how good that movie still is. It really is one of the all-time feel-good, truly funny, well-crafted, masterfully edited high school coming-of-age comedies of all time. And then we get such a great guest host who, this just so happens, this is his favorite film of all time. I think because we were kind of, I wouldn't say we were on edge. I would just say that he raised our game a little bit and brought up the energy. We had to bring our A game. Let's just put it that way. So we were jazzed and we were jazzed to talk about a great movie. So, and we just wanted to add to each other's thoughts. And what I want to say about Ferris Bueller's to the listeners out there, if you want it, I mean, I don't know about Bill Bant, but I'd be happy to do a part two because we didn't cover half the great scenes in that movie. It's just great from beginning to end. And I'll just put it out there. If you know, there's another podcast out there that wants to do part two. You know, gosh, I mean, uh, Bill and I are available to guest host on someone else's pod, but it was really fun. And I agree, Bill Bant. It was a total success as our first guest host 
podcast. So my choice for my favorite episode then as a result is Silent Night, Deadly Night from 1984, which I felt was equally as successful because not only had we our second guest host and we're more familiar with our own guest format, but the guest host, Patrick J. Duty, is a great friend of ours. He was so enthusiastic to talk about to talk about one of his favorite horror films of all time. And for me personally, the definition of success is being able to do the things you love with the people you love. And this was the case in particular. We've known Patrick for over 25 years. He's smart. He's clever. And moreover, he's funny. We had a lot of fun talking about horror camp and we laughed and I felt like we thoroughly covered the film. And I, not being as familiar with the film, felt like I received a new appreciation for the movie as a result. It was an entertaining recording that went smoothly, and somehow even the unedited version was under three hours, which was a surprise, especially because that's what happens when you're talking about movies with friends that love movies, especially great friends like Patrick. And I thought there would be no stopping us, but... We got it in under three hours, and Bill Bant did a great job of the editing and turned it out to be a wonderful episode. So that's my choice for favorite episode, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yeah, I think what just made it so exciting about those episodes is we had no idea what to expect. And I thought we pulled off two really good episodes and certainly are going to love having both of them back on again in future episodes. Oh, it's an absolute must uh, we got to get the other guys from three films in a podcast. We'll get Pat on as well as a couple of our other good friends. And Pat, yeah, is a truly, I mean, he's a consummate professional. And he was putting that aspect of himself on display. But uh, we look forward to now, especially having more guest hosts. We're just really excited about that. And there will be more to come Yeah, in season three. Season three. Okay, here we go. Next question. Yeah. Jason, what movie that we covered did you think held up the best? I have to say, Back to the Future, The Princess Bride, and Ferris Bueller's are clear and obvious choices. But I'm going with Poltergeist from 1982, directed by Toby Hooper. Outside of a few like dated makeup effects and or maybe a scene here or there, the movie is still such a great supernatural paranormal thriller. I hadn't watched it in many, many years, and still managed to remember a lot of it. I was surprised by a lot of it and just impressed at how effective it still was. The performances by Joe Beth Williams in particular, as well as Zelda Rubenstein and Heather O'Rourke. I mean, a haunting choral score by Jerry Goldsmith. The movie is still quite unnerving. Now, it's well documented that I'm not a big fan of scary films, so I haven't seen a lot of the modern paranormal thrillers, and I'm not sure that uh, the comparison would be fair, but this movie from, man, it was made in 1982. It's still really impactful. There's really well-directed sequences. You connect and empathize with the family at the center of the story. There's really, I mean, talk about quotes. I mean, one of the all-time greats of all time. They're here. And the sound design is superb. It's not just scary, it's smart, and it's fun. And lastly, I have to say, Robbie, get that damn clown out of your room. Why would you put it on the chair at the edge of your bed? Sweet baby Jesus, get rid of that thing. And draw the shades over the window at night, for God's sake. Stop looking at the damn mangled, twisted mess of a tree outside your What are you doing, man? I'm sorry, I get a little 
carried away. I'm, I'm passionate about, about that issue I had with the film, but yeah, Poltergeist, man, I was impressed and that was fun covering that film. Yes. And not only did the movie hold up, the house has held up. <laughs> Cause I would say that was a big highlight of the year was actually going out to check out the How house. How fun was that? Yes. And I, I don't want to put the cart before the horse here, Bill Bant, but I have to say, I mean, I look forward to doing some more on location reels with you. Oh, hell yeah. For season three. We are definitely doing that. Because that was a blast, man. We weren't even there that long, but I had a smile on my face all day after we did that. It was really cool being there in person mm-hmm. in front of that house. Yeah, yeah there's some pictures Good of call. it of our, on our uh, Facebook, all 80s movies podcast, if you want to check them out. And then Jason, yeah, did the reel in front of the house. So that was a blast. Yeah, you can see that on uh, Facebook and TikTok. Yep. For me, yeah, I went with one of the obvious. I went with Back to the Future, uh, which was our debut of season two. Sure. Yeah. First thing, if you are a beginning screenwriter, get yourself a copy of that script. It is considered one of the best scripts of all time. It's a great script to use as reference. I think what I love about it now is now it's a time capsule of the 80s and of the 50s. I mean, when that movie first came out, it was a comparison of today and yesterday. And now it's a time capsule of what things are like today compared to how things were in the 80s and now how things were in the 50s. So I think I think that's really cool. Special effects, for the most part, hold up except for two shots. The flames going through Doc's and Marty's legs. Mm. When the, the DeLorean goes up the first time. <laughs> and then the dissolving hand when Marty starts disappearing. Oh, sure. But the rest of that, they could have released this movie tomorrow and i don't think anyone would complain about any of the effects or acting or or writing like that it's just great performance all around kind of a simple story yet it's complex and just great direction it's an amazing movie it's one i'm holding out for my kids just to get a little bit older just so they'll watch it and appreciate it but oh yeah i could watch the movie over and over again that really holds up really well totally agree it's a great call i i was really tempted to choose it how can you not like you said, this is a movie to watch and learn from. I mean, from everything from the cast to what a great score. Alan Silvestri, one of the most recognizable movie themes. As soon as that music comes up and you just hear that magical, it's like it sounds like fairy dust, if that makes sense. That's how I describe some of Alan Silvestri's like opening. He does that same kind of opening in the uh, credits for Romancing the Stone as well. But yeah, I mean, Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, all of them. Crispin Glover, what a, a phenomenal movie. I'm glad you, you mentioned the the direction. It's f- so much fun. Oh, yeah. It's just easy breezy. And the movie's cooking the whole time. It's one of the ultimate like rewatchable films. There's just no question. Great call. It's a great call. And speaking of movies that should be always taught in, you know, or the, the making of the script, breaking down a movie, you know, should be taught in, in either film instruction, film classes uh, I, I had a close runner-up for me which was uh body heat oh yeah I, I felt this i just thought that film held up brilliantly because of the writing lawrence kasdan one of our guys and it's such a wonderful neo-noir film it's one where i'm just like watch it learn it can't believe it was kathleen turner's debut so sexy the movie is really hot great small supporting role by mickey rourke in that movie but yeah Hey, man, great call. Back to the Future. And uh, yeah, it was Poltergeist for me. So uh, moving on. Go, go no, ahead. I just, I go just ahead. wanted to say good call. The other nominee, yeah. though, The Princess Bride. That is definitely a timeless classic, oh, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. We did. Some, we had some. I can't believe I didn't even yeah. think of that at first until you said it. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. 
that movie will withstand the dust of time. For sure. It's just such a clever movie in that way. But yeah, uh, so I guess we can move on to our next question. Yes. Which movie that we covered did you dislike from season two? I think we're going to have the same answer, but that's okay. <laughs> we'll discuss good it. chance. And hands down, that was the Ice Pirates. Oh, no kidding. Yes. We have different answers. I think what's hilarious about that is I don't know how many times when we're doing schedule and you would bring that up. Ice Pirates. God, I don't remember it that much, but God, if Jason really wants to do the Ice Pirates, sure. And I remember when I watched it the first time, I didn't take any notes because it was so bad. I was just kind of like, what the hell? This movie is horrible, horrible, horrible. And then I was like, shit, I didn't write anything down for the show. Now I got to watch it again. But then I had to sit through it again and then I fell asleep. So then I had to watch it a third time in order to get everything I needed for that podcast. I laugh when I see stuff on Twitter and someone will post about that movie, how they loved it. And I'm like, you probably have not Absolutely. watched that in 30 years. Because if you watch it now, you're not going to love it that much anymore. That is a movie for eight-year-olds. That's basically what it comes down to. Right. If you're any older than that, I don't know how you still love Ice Pirates. Hey, if you do, you can email us, tweet us, let us know what we're missing. But I hope I never have Absolutely. to watch it. Absolutely. Tell us again. what you love about it. Yeah. Great, great call. Between that and my choice, it was it was a toss-up again. But, I mean, there is literal toilet humor in the film. Yes. The opening scene, if I'm not mistaken, contains actual toilet humor with an alien sitting on a toilet. I mean, it's borderline ridiculous. It is. It's like for children. But then it's actually over-sexualized in parts, and then also it doesn't make any sense and. There's reasons for it. The budget got severely cut. Nobody really sets out to make a bad movie. No, not at all. But it was surprise I it was surprisingly bad. It was a terrible film. I actually caught a little shit from somebody. Somebody made a comment, I believe, on my TikTok reel because I had took issue with the film. And there are still fans of that movie. I mean, and because they look at it as supreme camp, you know, it's just sci-fi camp. And I get it, but it still doesn't like it's so it's just plain stupid, you know, <laughs> That's, I mean, I'm being harsh. Maybe. I don't know, but I'm right there with you, Bill. I'm right there. It, that was a tough one to get through. So what is it? Now I'm interested here. I, I have in my head one of two choices. So I'm, I'm, let's see if I'm right on what I think your worst is and most disliked. Yeah, no, it's funny because it almost went back to back in our season with Ice Pirates. And that's Neighbors for me. Neighbors, 1981. We did Neighbors, and I forgot what we did in between, and then Ice Pirates right after that. It was a little bit of a, a rough stretch for us. Yeah, we apologize but- to our audience for torturing <laughs> him during that period. But you stuck with us, so we appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. And we're get- we got to do these movies. There's reasons why we do these movies. We still have some nostalgic attachment. Like even Ice Pirates, I still have a nostalgic attachment to because I remember going to see it with my dad and really want- asking my dad to go watch it and... Now I, I feel like I should apologize to him for that. I still haven't done that. So my choice for the movie we covered that I disliked is definitely Neighbors. This was my least favorite discovery, for I had not seen this film before, and it was plain unsuccessful. It's supposed to be a quirky black comedy, but instead is generally unsettling and off-putting, although I always admire big swings, specific choices, They just didn't work in this film. For example, having the role reversal of John Belushi playing the 
quote unquote straight man versus Dan Aykroyd in the primary comedic relief role. It just didn't work. It's a simple premise, but the motivations of this uh, like torturous games, which are played by the new couple that move in next door to Belushi and his wife, those motivations are like non-existent, which may be the point, but some scenes and comedic devices, such as like a car with no brakes, a nearby swamp, faulty electrical power lines, are simply not funny devices in the film. They're nonsensical and goofy. Aykroyd plays his role as more of an SNL caricature, and I'm not rooting for anybody in this movie at all. It's about a blue-collar husband trying to escape his mundane existence and marriage and finding that escape through living vicariously through this wild next-door couple's lives, but it's just muddled and confusing and dark. Although, the highlight is definitely Kathy Moriarty, whose performance is solid, and she's extremely sultry and sexy, but... A lot of it just doesn't work in the context of what's going on and the comedic timing is off and it's directed by this same guy who would go on to direct Karate Kid. None of this makes sense, Bill Bant. And to top it off, it has an awful musical score by the great and much revered Bill Conti. The score attempts to make the film funnier by being silly and on the verge of actually providing like sound effects to bolster what are supposed to be comedic moments. It's just disturbing. And it's funny because we did The Burbs also this past season, which was also about a nightmare neighbor. But to the listeners out there, just watch Neighbors from 2014. Skip the one from 1981. No, it was a good choice. That was one of those movies I was hoping on the rewatch I would like it or appreciate it more. And it got worse. Mm. That was certainly in my bottom three yeah. films that we covered. I don't think there's anything else I can say that you didn't say already. Um, the fact that you really should have had the roles reversed between Aykroyd and Belushi. Kathy mm-hmm. Moriarty is the best part of the movie. And tonally, it's kind of all over the place. And it doesn't right. make much sense. And there's stuff they kind of start on and it doesn't go anywhere. I hate when story-wise they just move things along just because they need to move them along. Even though everyone in the audience is like, no, you shouldn't do that or you can't do that. And there's a lot of that in this mm. movie. And even when... Belushi's character and kind of makes friends with Aykroyd and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make any sense. I know it's supposed to be a dark comedy, but it just, it just didn't work for me. And that kind of really sucks because we didn't have a, a long filmography of Belushi and yeah, he missed the mark on that one. Yeah. And again, listeners, I hope you forgive us and you give us a, a little bit of grace because that's the fact of the matter is Bill and I are going to miss the mark on some of these. They're not all gems. They just aren't. But we cover them for a reason because there are great celebrities and wonderful actors or directors or composers, as I keep bringing up the musical scores for these films in these movies. And we need to talk about them because we remember them for some reason. And we're like, was that good? Was that a good movie? Let's check it out. Let's talk about it. And sometimes... They're a great revisit, and sometimes they're not. So I feel bad still about Ice Pirates, but I can still hold neighbors over your head. So right, exactly. So we canceled each other out on that one. So it was good. I was like, let me, how can I get Jason back with Ice Pirates? Oh, I'll do Neighbors. Right. <laughs> All right, here we go. Next question. What movie, Jason, was your favorite discovery? So either a movie you saw for the first time or a movie you went back and rewatched. Uh, this was also tough. There was a few that I, uh, from our season two or that I was like, man, this was surprisingly good. Or there was an element of, you know, what I thought of offhand was uh, Lily Taylor from Mystic Pizza. Oh, yeah. Like her performance was a discovery for me. I thought the movie was okay. It was pretty good. 
obviously Julia Roberts in her performance is well known from that film, but man, Lily Taylor was just, and I'm like, I'd seen that movie already. I wanted to go with something I hadn't seen before. So I'm going with Reanimator from 1985. I had not seen this one before and was pleasantly surprised. It's a difficult genre to master, which is the comedy horror genre. We talked about that on our pod. It This comes pretty close to nailing it. First of all, because the movie knows exactly what it's supposed to be, thanks in large part to the direction by Stuart Gordon and the excellent performance by Jeffrey Combs as Herbert West. Yep. He really is wonderful in the movie. Watch it for him if you've never seen it before, if you want to revisit it. He nails it just kind of slightly, you know, he's manic and over the top and obsessive. He's the, the mad scientist. So- also, shout out to David Gale, who plays Dr. Carl Hill. He's great. The scene with the headless body walking around holding his own head and talking and everything. That's great. Barbara Crampton's in this. Great 80s scream queen. Uh, she's a trooper for doing one particular scene we talked about on the podcast. Oh, yeah. I won't go into detail here. But there's some great makeup and overall super campy effects in this. I mean, they, again, are going for comedy horror. And it's a difficult balance because if too much of one and not enough the other, it can feel really off. But this was just kind of a fun romp, and it's crazy. It's weird. It's based on an H.P. Lovecraft story, so there's some interesting ideas in this. I particularly uh, latched onto this idea of controlling the human will, which is more of like Dr. Hill's, I think, pursuit in this film. But it has the city of Arkham in it, which is an H.P. Lovecraft concept, and is actually which was Batman's Arkham Asylum was based on. So it's ridiculous. It has a reanimated killer cat in this, which is way over the top and super fake. And it's oh, yeah. amazingly hilarious. hilarious. I know that was one of your favorite scenes. And it has a really fun ending. I definitely recommend it if you're a cult horror fan and haven't seen it. The mention of the name Hans Gruber in this movie, which automatically makes it awesome. So I'm glad I saw this, Bill Bant. I'm glad you had it on our list. This was during our Splatter Cinema Month. Right. So that was great. That's my choice. Reanimator. What was your favorite discovery, Bill? Bannon? So mine was based on a rewatch. So it wasn't something I saw for the first time. This is a movie I only had seen once when it first came out. And then the funny thing is I bought it because I saw it at Big Lots for like five bucks. I was like, oh, it's an easy movie. Let me just pick it up. But then we put it on the list and then I finally watched it. And I was like, holy crap, why have I not watched this movie more? And that was to live and die in L.A. Yeah. Great, gritty movie. William Peterson the star freaking directed awesome chase scene. I totally forgot about the ending. What happened to Peterson's character? I literally did an mm-hmm. Oh shit. When it happened, it surprised me how much of it I had forgotten, but it was so much fun to rewatch. And it's definitely a movie. I'm like, Oh, I definitely have to watch this again and again. I just really enjoyed it. Just, and especially now, Living out here and knowing the area where they sure. shot the movie was even cooler because I've kind of been down that area a little bit. I think that even just made it more exciting for me. And just even the way it ends was kind of cool, too, where you have Peterson's character is going to do whatever it takes to solve this crime. And his partner's like, eh, I think we're kind of stepping across the line. And then he almost turns into Peterson at the end. And that mm-hmm. just makes it cool. Mm-hmm. Hey, you just do what it takes. Stop the criminals yourself. So, you know, who's who's really the good guy in this scenario? So I thought it was a, really a lot of fun. It was, it was, that was a good rewatch. 100%. Absolutely. I'm going to save my thoughts on to live and die in L.A. because it's going to come up again 
okay. in this very podcast. Gotcha. So glad you brought it up. Great, great choice. I'm surprised that you picked Reanimator. I not have thought that would have been your choice. But also for yeah. me, I want to talk about it later also. Oh, great. Is it my turn to ask the question? Yep, your turn to ask a question. I love asking questions. Hey, what's something new you learned about your co-host? Me. During the season? Um, one of the things I love about doing this podcast is, God, you and I have known each other now. Got to be 30 years. Close to it. Between 25 and 30, yeah. And the fact when we do this podcast, you, you'll bring up a story or a fact. And I'm like, what? You did what? <laughs> I didn't know that. Season one, it was about all your background in the dancing. I didn't know any of that. Right. And that's just hilarious, yeah. too. I think this year, it was such a sweet story. I wish I could have kept the whole thing in our, in our Silent Night, Deadly Night episode, but I, I, I just had to cut some of it for time. Doing the Santa Claus thing, man. That was awesome. Oh, sure. I love that story. Yeah. So if you go back to our Silent Night, Deadly Night episode, Jason talked about how you used to dress up from Santa Claus. How old were you when you first started? You were like 18? I was. That is correct. Yeah. I did so I knew you from, yeah. when you were doing this and didn't know anything about yeah. it. Yeah. You, you, absolutely. You would have. Yeah. And the fact that you would dress up and show up as Santa Claus for your family and just do the whole bit. I don't know. That just puts a big smile on my face. I'm like, oh, that'd be so cool if I could just see that happen just one time. <laughs> I don't know. I just love that. It was, I don't know. It was just it, In a way, it was just such a sweet story that you would just do that for your family and how everyone would just kind of get into it. And then the stories of your nieces and nephews start getting or cousins start getting suspicious and how you were able right. to fake them out. And I was just like, oh, that's just all great. Just all the stuff you put into it just to keep that illusion alive, I thought was amazing. Oh, absolutely. A little bait and switch yeah. there. I love that you love that story, man. It warms my heart. And the memories of playing Santa Claus for my family warms my heart. And I love telling the story. It was extremely rewarding. It really was. I, I had no idea how it would make me feel because of the you know, you put a lot of smiles on, on people's faces, but it was so steeped in tradition, which was really cool, too, with the family. It was as if the mantle had been what well, there was. It was a mantle that was passed on to me. So thanks for bringing that up again. And you know what I should do is I, I need to show you some great photos and or video of me playing Santa because it does. Oh, exist. hell yeah. I need to somewhere. see that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, maybe we can post something uh, which would be pretty funny as well. Great stuff, man. So, yeah, something new I learned about my co-host during the season. Well, I I finally got to see Bill Bant at his day job when borrowing the DVD of To Live and Die in L.A., which I still have, by the way. I'm looking at it right now. And you're never getting it back. Probably not. It's five bucks. I owe you. So, you know, it's funny how long you can. This is a fact for I think a lot of people can relate to is that you can know someone for a really long time, but never actually see them in their place of work. True. You can be friends with them because they just work in, and maybe it's a high-rise office building or something, place you don't normally have access to or whatever. It's not as if they're working at a restaurant where you can see them and you know waiting tables or something like that. Uh, so it was cool just kind of seeing you doing what you're doing or what you do during the day to pay the bills for the time being. And, you know, although I couldn't, you know, really tell you guys what Bill does, because uh, he's basically like Chandler from Friends, which is not really true. Uh, great stuff, man. And also because I see Bill Bant via Riverside FM and talk with him every single week. 
I do get to know more about his daily existence and I learn how he's not only committed to this pod as executive producer, but how he's a great husband, a great father to two great kids and all the trials and triumphs that come with that, including soccer and school and vacation and also general daily life stuff like barking dogs and people crawling across his rooftop and the agony of slow computers and sinus headaches. But also what's cool is I, I get to find out more about your upbringing in Philadelphia, Bill Band. You know what I thought was cool about listening to your guest appearance on Dancing With Ourselves was you talking about some of your stories growing up in Philadelphia, your life in the 80s in Philadelphia. I thought that was really cool. So great stuff, Bill Bant. You, you've been a longtime friend, but I'm still getting to know you, and it's pretty cool. I know. It's crazy. You'd think after all this time you would know everything about someone else, but we keep constantly learning stuff about one another. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's really fascinating. Because I kind of said this before we even started the podcast. I kind of said to Jason, I'm like, yeah, I'm almost going to think of this as podcast therapy, just so I can just share stuff from my childhood that, you know, you don't get to tell people those stories that much anymore. Like, yeah, you know, I tell my kids stuff about when I was growing up and, and that kind of thing. And sometimes they're fascinated and sometimes they don't give a rat's ass. But I don't know. It's it's kind of good just to relive that stuff because sometimes you, you worry that you're going to forget those moments. And the fact that I can bring it up here on the pod and hopefully not bore our listeners, you know, at least try to tie it into the movie that we're doing. I think it's fun. That's certainly one of the highlights I love about it. Just, you know, what you share, what I share, even people in the email and share stuff with us, I think it's just fun and um, just brings a, a little bit more to the to the show itself. Well said, Bill Bant. You make a really, really, really good point. One of my favorite segments really is the initial thoughts uh, segment because we get into our nostalgic attachments and when we first saw the movie, who we saw it with, where we were, or maybe not. But in particular for me, when we did Willow, that was a big one for me that I felt was like therapeutic in a way because that was that awkward phase for me, kind of getting into my early teenage years and starting high school and still holding on to kind of the childhood fantasy, if you will, of movies and being immersed in that. But that's how impactful the 80s films were for us and still are, just how influential they were. And they were such a big part of our lives that we're obviously still passionate about it today. And that's why we can connect to our listeners, hopefully, and they share their own stories because this really just set our – these 80s movies set our imaginations on fire. And some of these coming-of-age films like the John Hughes films were so – relatable and we could identify with so many of the characters and I personally was just you know swept away and it's just to be able to tell people how much these movies mean to us on such a deep level is therapeutic so it's a great way to frame it Bill Ban I appreciate you saying that all right so to me Jason what episode or episodes do you think need some love from our listeners here's <laughs> I love this because it's just one more movie I kept putting on the list for Bill. Like, what about, you know, maybe maybe we should do, maybe we should do The Hidden. You know, I'm a big fan of The Hidden. Let's do The Hidden. Yeah, it still needs some love from our listeners, and I get it. It's all right. My choice is The Hidden from 1987. This one's a bit stuck when it comes to uh, the, our stats. Let's just put it that way. But hey, man, it's a cult classic sci-fi film 
maybe it's just a cult sci-fi film that doesn't necessarily appeal to the wider audience, but I think it deserves a chance. I, of course, like I said, was uh, a champion of this film for some time, and Bill thankfully agreed to do it for the pod. And upon revisit, the film is definitely dated, definitely very 80s, but man, like you're talking about to live and die in LA and now that we live here and we know areas, but, but to see gritty LA in movies is just so much fun. And I felt like you get a lot of that in the hidden, which I appreciated. This movie is a little cheesy. It's got some cheesy dialogue. It is sci-fi horror camp in moments, but Kyle MacLachlan and Michael Nuri really handle it well. And they're really solid in the movie. It's got some great action scenes, some cool slimy effects that opening car chase sequence with the black Ferrari is sweet. Awesome. Cool prison break sequence. Yeah, I know you like that sequence. Cool prison break sequence. Cool, gross, alien, slimy, snail-like creature transferring bodies sequence. Uh, it has a cool musical score in moments. I mean, I still love the ending. It's a great sci-fi, like, B-movie body snatcher film that I still think is underappreciated and... uh This is a movie that could be rebooted or made into a Netflix series if the director or showrunner had a handle on the genre. I think they could really expand on this because I think there's still some gold there. Check out The Hidden. Listen to our podcast. Watch the movie. Give it some love. What about you, Bill Bent? I couldn't agree with you more on The Hidden. That was definitely in my top three. Mm -hmm. That was another movie. that, That was only the second time I had seen it. It was for this podcast. And it was one of those, God, why haven't I watched this more? This movie screams 80s, oh, 80s yeah, sci-fi, right. 80s camp, buddy f- cop film. It's a lot of fun. I think a lot of people haven't seen it. I think if you give it a chance, you will not be disappointed. There's a lot of interesting premises in it, and it's a low-budget movie, but I would highly recommend it. Uh, give it a shot. Um, I also had Reanimator on the list. Um, that's another movie oh, cool. that... I'd only watched once or twice before, and I was really excited just to revisit it. And I'm a big fan of the horror comedy. I love that, you know, Return of the Living Dead, right? the Evil Dead movies. That, if you can get that one right, I'm all in. So the one I went with, and even though I didn't give it the greatest review, and I was kind of surprised that it's not getting a lot of listens, was April Fool's Day. All right. All right. Interesting. Tell me about it. Because you think the 80s slasher movies, and then here was a movie that had a different take on it. It was it was almost, mm-hmm. it's scream before scream, you know, because it kind of turns the concept of the slasher movie on its head. And it's one of those movies, you just have a whole bunch of, hey, it's that actor kind of deal. It's one of those after I watched, and I was like, oh, it's okay. But I don't know. I just kind of think about it. It just kind of got stuck in my head. And it's one of those like, yeah, I need to rewatch that again. There's there's something very interesting about it. You know, it's just your typical bunch of teenagers are in an isolated island. And now they're getting picked off one by one. And you're trying to figure out who it is. And then it completely turns itself on its head at, at the ending. And yeah, you might be disappointed at the ending or you might enjoy the ending. And either way you go, you know, I totally understand. But I think it's another movie, especially if you're a fan of 80s slasher that the fact that this movie took a chance and some people say it works and some people did, said it didn't, I think you should watch it and, you know, find out for yourself which way it goes. Great call. I like your take on that. I also am surprised that it doesn't get a little more love just from like a cult status uh, fandom 
uh, aspect because I, I would think this would be kind of in that category of be, because of the ending alone. And it was interesting. I was listening to a podcast today about Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery, the sequel to the original Ryan Johnson directed a Knives Out film. And it's a murder mystery and a whodunit, if you will, and a different take on the whodunit genre because Ryan Johnson kind of turns things on its head. And funny enough, talking about films where it's a group of people gathered in a room and you've got to figure out who did it, right? Who, who committed the murder? So it made me think of April Fool's Day today as I was listening to that podcast. I was like, you know what? It's a little bit of a puzzle. You're trying to figure out. You think you know, but you don't. And it's a group of friends gathered and on an island and it's the common tropes and everything, but it's still, I wasn't crazy about this movie and I make that clear in the podcast, but I still really appreciated the ending and I thought it was a cool twist and they took a chance. I thought the ending was successful for the most part. It was a cool idea. So I I definitely appreciate that. And uh, I understand why you'd think, yeah, that this should get a little more TLC from the people out there. Good call. So uh, moving on, Bill Band, which episode from season two do you wish you could do over again? Well, I'll tell you, it's not back to school because... I thought you were going to say, well, I'll tell you, it's none. <laughs> they were all perfect. No. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's, it's... Well, it's certainly not back to school because we actually had to do back to school again. We actually had to do that one technically three times. Because the first time we tried to get on just to record it, we couldn't even get into our recording studio. Right. So we had to reschedule. And then we couldn't get into the recording studio again. So we're like, all right, let's just try a different medium to try to record it. So we did our typical two hours. And I go to edit the next day. And for some reason, all of Jason's track was there. Only the first 15 (laughs) minutes of my track was there. So I had to call Jason and go, hey, guess what, Jason? We're going to have to record back to school again. So if we sound a little tired on the episode, if it's not our end game, we apologize because it was the third time we had to do it. And that's the first time that's ever happened where we've had to re-record an episode. Like we've actually stopped in the middle of an episode and just said, all right, this isn't working. We'll just regroup. Right. Yeah. But this is the first time we finished one and the audio issues caused us to redo it. Yeah, a little behind the scenes there. But yeah, the episode, if I could do it all over again, and um, I don't know why this is, because you know I love James Bond movies, and we've done Mm. two James Bond movies already, but I always think when I do them, I suck. So License to Kill, I don't know what it is. I think I just put too much pressure on it because I just love those movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I seem to forget everything about the movie when we start talking about them because I just get everything mixed up. So just a heads up, we will not be doing a James Bond movie in season three just because I think oh. I'm just, uh, yeah, I've just become paranoid about doing them now. Yeah, I'm a huge, huge fan of James Bond, but I just feel like both James Bond movies we've done is probably two of my worst episodes, and I just don't know why that is. And if I could just go back and do both of them again, I would in a heartbeat. Got it. Interesting. And I totally understand. I don't understand from an objective point of view why you felt it wasn't your best show because from my perspective, you were great on both Bond episodes. But I can understand why you personally feel like because I can put myself in your shoes because I had a toss-up for this question, which episode would I do over again? And I actually was thinking of 
Flash Gordon. Really? From 1980. Yeah, because of something very similar to what you were saying. It's a movie that's near and dear to my heart that I'm so passionate about that I've seen so many times and have an attachment to on different levels that I think back to and I just wasn't sure if I had properly either relayed my fandom or explained things well enough to really show the people that I know this movie, I love this movie, as if I have something to prove as a Flash Gordon fan, you know, and I, you know, I'm just setting a higher bar for myself on those films that I'm a little bit more passionate about, or I feel that I'm a little more knowledgeable of because I studied them so back in the day, if that makes sense. I felt like it was a good episode and I did fine. But, you know, like when we did Willow, I felt like I really wrote down a lot of notes and things that I felt were either poignant or near and dear to my heart, et cetera, that just really was able to get, I was able to get my thoughts across clearly as to how this movie was, how I was attached to the film, which I didn't feel like I got across as clearly with Flash Gordon. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, I'm talking too long about Flash Gordon, which is not my choice. My choice actually was, or is, to live and die in LA because of the fact that I think I was a little hard on the film in that podcast. And you nailed it when you brought it up about being a favorite discovery because this movie directed by William Freakin, it's freaking great. <laughs> I just came up with that. I'm a genius. I'm really not. This movie, as you mentioned, has an all-time banger of a car chase that I bungled in describing, or at least didn't do it in justice in the podcast. But William Peterson, cool freaking customer as an actor. Love William Peterson. This film has style. And I kept bringing up that it does have similar stylings like Miami Vice. Sure, it catches flack because of that. But it's much grittier and much more jarring. This is not Art Deco gloss. This is bloody, almost gory and dirty. The surprise death near the end, like you mentioned, the cop who's willing to cross lines to catch a killer, what it takes and the darkness that comes with it. So I felt like I was a bit hard on some of the character development issues I had with it. Maybe I was focusing on the wrong things. But again, if there's another podcast out there going to cover this film and you need a guest host, I'm throwing my name into the hat. I'd love to look at it again and enjoy it for what it is from a more forgiving perspective. It's pretty awesome. It's a great, gritty cop thriller drama. Young Willem Dafoe. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Although I probably will still think the music is terrible. But <laughs> other than that. I'm kind of surprised. I don't, I don't remember you being that harsh on it. I, now I have to go back and give it a re-listen. I think I undersold it. I think I undersold it a bit. But it is funny that you brought it up and I kind of said it too. Because we'll get emails or tweets all the time about, hey, why don't you guys cover Ghostbusters or Lethal Weapon or Die Hard? The heavy hitters, yeah. Yeah, or the, the blockbusters. There's two reasons for that. We're hopefully in this for the long haul. That, yeah, we're going into season three, but we have to look at season four, five, six, seven, eight. You know, hopefully we're going to be around for a long time doing this. So we have to kind of mix, right. mix things around. And also, Jason, I just mentioned it too. Some of these movies we love so much. In the beginning, I was nervous to talk about them because I'm like, this is my one shot to express my love or passion for this movie. And I don't want to screw it up. I don't want to do the movie exactly. injustice. Yeah. And now that we're into our second season and listening to myself when I'm editing this, things I need to do to be better. Hopefully I'm getting to that point where I feel more confident to now take on those movies. So we're going to get to them at some point, I swear. 
Hopefully we're going to be around long enough to take care of all those blockbusters. But there's some that are just nostalgic attachments to us that are smaller films that we want to take on. And we just want to have a good mix. But yeah, we are going to get to those big movies. We know the movies you're talking about, but we are going to get to them. And, you know, we're going to be peppering them in from here on out. So just be patient with us, as always, throughout those suggestions. And we'll certainly try to get them into future schedules. Well said, Bill Bant. All right. Is that a wrap for the recap? Yeah. So I think it's time to preview our next season. So season three. So again, for this upcoming season, we'll be covering over 40 movies. So we certainly have a lot on our plate. You know, as we mentioned a couple of times, we'll be bringing back guests and our first guest will be in a March episode and it will be with the Retro Movie Roundtable, which Jason, you were on, I think, last year to do uh, the right stuff. So if you want to go check that yeah. one out, certainly do. That was a blast. Yeah. So they're going to come on with us to do a little shop of horrors. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. So I'm very excited to do that one. I know I was a big fan of the original black and white movie. I actually used to have the soundtrack from Little Shop of Horrors on record. So. Ah, the LP? Yep. Really? That'll be fun. Um, so they'll be coming in to do our first guest pod in March. Summer at the Cinema 3. Yes, it will be returning. It's actually our most popular month. So hopefully we have a pretty good lineup for this summer. You know, all the movies that we talk about take place during the summer. And we have The Great Outdoors, The Flamingo Kid, the Lost Boys and Stand By Me. So that'll be our four wow. of the summer at the cinema. Something that we introduced last year uh, that we're going to bring back is our Back to Back the School series, where it's, it's two movies just about back to school life. And our program coordinator came up with these two, but I'm very excited about them, is Heather's and Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which we've certainly gotten some emails on that people have wanted us to cover. So we will be doing Fast Times at Ridgemont High this year and uh, the cult classic Heather's. And then, of course, in October, our second most popular month, because, you know, what an original idea of doing horror movies in October. And that will be Splatter Cinema Month. So we have the lineup for that this year is Slumber Party Massacre, Friday the 13th Part 2, which will actually debut on Friday the 13th. So I'm excited about that one. Sweet. Child's Play and The Fly. Oh, so yeah. that'll be our Splatter Cinema Month. And then also we did a poll uh, back in December, Tootsie, The Toy, The Dark Crystal, and Best Friends. And we had you vote on which one of those movies you wanted us to cover for next season. And with 44% of the vote, it was The Dark Crystal. So we'll be doing The Dark Crystal sometime in March. Some of our highlights for season three. So we are very excited to do that. And yeah, we'll try to do the guests just about every month except for our theme months. And if we don't do those, maybe we'll bring back a couple of uh, mini-sodes. So 40-plus movies, a bunch of guests doing our theme months again, and some theme reels this time, like you mentioned earlier. So we'll get out Heck there yeah. about, do some locations, and do them from some of the locations of some of these movies. Very exciting stuff. All right, so I think that about wraps it up for this week's recap. Thank you so much for listening. We will be starting Season 3 of the All 80s Movies Podcast on February 17th, and our first episode will be the 1984 blockbuster Beverly Hills Cop starring Eddie Murphy. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please take the time to subscribe, give us a review, and rate us. If you want to reach out, you can email us at all80smoviespodcast at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, movies you want us to cover, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook, Meta, at All80smoviespodcast. Catch us on TikTok at All80smoviespodcast. Tweet us at podcastall80s. We hope you join us again in Season 3. Have a totally great week, everyone. Bill Bant, I am looking forward to it. Season 3 in 2023. Hey, we're here to stay. 
We're, we're here to bring you better content every podcast, every season. And I'm just going to reiterate, we couldn't do this and we wouldn't be doing this if it weren't for the love and support of our family, friends, and all the wonderful 80s movies fans and listeners out there. We're making a lot of new friends out there and we appreciate you all. We look forward to engaging with you all more this coming season. And we just look forward to talking about the wonder and excitement and hilarity and ridiculousness and the warm embrace of nostalgia of 80s movies in 2023. We thank you so much for listening. Good night, world.